Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of Weaving Myths. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today are Colin. Hello, everyone. And Mordai. Who is hiding somewhere for the moment. He's the person that doesn't sound like Nathan or me, though. (laughs) He'll be joining us momentarily. We are all moderators or administrators on MythWeavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we're here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with MythWeavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of MythWeavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. Today on the agenda, we have Game Abandonment, Leaving and Ending Games, and Part 1 of our Player Archetype series, all of which we'll be talking about over the next hour or hour and a half or so. At the end, we'll open the floor to a live Q&A session from the text chat where anyone can ask us anything, be it about Mythweavers, gaming, or anything else they want to know. So, without any further ado, let's jump right in. The first topic on the agenda today is Game Abandonment, and this is... A not very pleasant topic, but it is something that needs to be addressed because it happens more than I would care to admit on Mythweavers. So you have a game, you're going along and you're playing, and all of a sudden either the GM or a player just stops posting completely. And this, in most cases, tends to kill a game, but... I do want to talk about it some and how we can kind of combat this and what we can do when this happens. So before we jump into the, into the notes, any thoughts there, Colin and Mordai? Well, on the GM level, it can certainly kill a game. On the player level, it doesn't necessarily end things, but it's certainly a problem, especially if it's early on and early on seems to be when most of the player losses happen. I had somewhere else I was going with that, and it just escaped me, so. <laughs> well, I know I personally have done this in the past, and it's never a good thing to just up and abandon a game, but it does happen, and the thing I want to stress is that real life happens, and we never know what causes a person to disappear, usually. Now, sometimes that person will just leave and they'll never come back, but sometimes they'll come back and they might send a message to someone or the previous players in their game and say, hey, this is what was going on. I'm really sorry I had to drop out. And I've had to do that once or twice over my time at Mythweavers. I'm not proud to admit that, but it does happen. And I think the important, most important thing is you have to communicate with people, even if you plan on shutting down a game and we'll talk about when you should shut down a game more in a little bit, but you have to talk to people ultimately. It's not a fun thing to talk about, but you do have to talk to people about it. Communication always being the key for that entire thing. I've personally had multiple times where I did have someone disappear, but you know, at least about half the time when it, a player drops suddenly, they've at least come back, you know, a week, a month later, explain the situation. Sometimes I can still work them back in. Yeah, and that's important. If you're a player, it sucks that you're going to drop out of the game. But 
the good news about play by post is you can always come back to it and sometimes the game will still be running. Sometimes it won't, but I just lost my train of thought. We're doing that a lot today. Apparently (laughs) I blame you. Gee, thanks. Always here to help. So yes, you know, player disappearances. Sometimes you'll hear back. There'll be a reason. Sometimes you won't. Player death doesn't necessarily kill a game. Game master disappearance, though, is where the real problem comes in. I think that's where the communication that Nathan's mentioning really comes to the front. Communication makes the difference between, poof, they vanished, the game died, and, hey, you know, they had something major go on with family, something like that. You know, we all understand. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people on Mythweavers, when a GM disappears, they kind of take it the wrong way. They get angry and they say, oh, well, I'm never going to play with that person again. And I think that's the wrong stance to take. We can't know what's going on in that person's life, right? We have to, if, if we try to assume, then all we're doing is putting words in their mouth. And it could be something really serious, like they had a family member pass away or... They changed jobs or they moved and they're having a lot, they're trying to set up their internet and internet companies as usual are being terrible. So I don't think this is something that people should get angry over. And every now and then I'll see a post on Mythweavers about, Hey, someone just abandoned my game. What can I do? Is there anything I can do about it? And most of the time, the answer is no. But you can learn from that and figure out how to make future games better so that hopefully it doesn't happen in the, again. And there are cases where Game Master Disappearance, if they at least had notes that can be referenced, there is Mordai's GM Rescue Society, so sometimes someone else can step in and keep the game going in the case of Game Master Disappearance. Absolutely. There's plenty of tools out there to keep a game running in the event of someone disappearing. And whether it's Mordai's GM Rescue Society or just asking a staff member to move the GM position around and take over the game. And then once you've taken over the GM position, you can recruit more players. So there's plenty of tools to help out with that. Come to think of it, I think we've plugged Mordai's Little Rescue Society in every episode by this point. I would not be surprised if that's true, but it's an extremely useful tool, and it's very good at what it does. All right, welcome Mordai. He has joined us now after minor technical difficulties. So I believe we're at game abandonment. If the game can't be recovered through the Rescue Society. Yep. So, if a game can't be recovered, unfortunately, the game is just dead, and there's not a whole lot that can be done about it if it's not rescued. But I want to stress something that I think is extremely important that a lot of people miss about Mythweavers. People don't and can't get in trouble for abandoning a game. So, this is a really important idea that... Game abandonment is not something that you should get angry about. Yes, it's unfortunate and terrible, but it's not something that you need to go into other forums and yell at people for. And it's not something that you should, if that player ever comes back, 
you shouldn't go to them and say, hey, I remember you. You abandoned game X. Now I'm going to hate you. And that will get you in trouble faster than abandoning a game. And a lot of people miss that. It As RMB mentions, it is incredibly annoying, but it, it's ultimately something that we, we can't really do anything about because we don't know anything about the situation that person is in. The important thing to keep in mind is as annoying as it is, as disappointing as it is, especially where they don't communicate, they just vanish, you don't know what's going on in that person's life. Something could happen. It's easy for an incident to take precedence very quickly over a play-by-post game. And don't discount the uh, guilt factor that comes with failing to post for a period of time. I found personally that when I get behind, it actually gets harder for me to catch up because I feel the pressure of all my players waiting for me so they can carry on with their fun, and it ceases to become as much fun for me when I'm frantically trying to meet their expectations. Communicating when you're kind of in that situation is a a really critical part to keeping the game going when you can't meet the regular expectation that you've set as far as posting rate goes. Absolutely. I've had several games where I'll open up the game forum and I'll look at it for a, a while And then I'll just close it because I can't bring myself to actually post in the game. And that is a real thing that happens. And it's it's kind of odd how that can happen over a game forum. But like Mordai said, communication is everything. If you can let people know that, hey, I'm just struggling to catch up right now, it'll give you a little bit more time, hopefully, to get caught up. And your reaction to that kind of situation, the reaction of the players, that is, may inform your decision as to whether or not the game is really worth continuing. So, ultimately, to end on a relatively happier note, the good news is on Mythweavers, there's always more GMs and there's always more players. So even if your game spirals out of control and dies because it gets abandoned by the GM or several players abandoned it, all at the same time, ultimately, you can find another game. And while losing that particular game can be unfortunate, you can always just replace it with another one. Like, right now, in the game Games and Ads forum, there are over 25 games looking for players. So, if you're looking for a game, there's plenty to choose from. Hope Springs Eternal. Absolutely. Uh, Tiffany Corda mentions it's not that's not necessarily true if the system is obscure, but eventually someone will come along and run it, or if it's a system you like and know well, you can run a game yourself. And it's it's kind of like an endless endless cycle that games games end, games start. I think it's worth pointing out there's a commonly held misperception that most games die very quickly. Uh, on Myth Weavers. And that's not true in my experience, both as a player and as a GM. So just because it's happened to you once, maybe even twice, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a typical type experience. The reliable GMs, and there are many, many of them out there, frequently run games that run 6, 12, 24 months or more. So don't despair just because you've had one or two bad experiences. I absolutely agree with Mordai on that. There's 
far more good than bad, and sometimes, sometimes you do lose the good to real life, but usually games tend to run for a decent amount of time. Absolutely. I don't think I've had any games that have lasted less than a month or so, even if it was a game that I did ultimately end up shutting down. It is true that play-by-post tends to start slow, and we covered in last episode several ways that you can work on improving the initial pace of the game and improving that retention rate. So that's worth going over if uh, you're concerned that the slow start is presaging a quick death. All right. Well, I think that segues nicely into our next topic for the evening, which is leaving and ending games. And this is related to abandoning a game, but knowing when you should step away from a game or knowing how to end a game and when and why is a skill that I don't think a lot of people on Mythweavers have. They will advertise for a game and they'll get a thousand applications. I'm exaggerating, but they'll get a ton of applications and they won't realize that accepting the majority of them is a step they shouldn't take or something will happen between the players and the GM won't really know how to handle player conflict out of character. A frequent symptom of that would be when you get those 30 or 40 applications for a Pathfinder or a Dungeons & Dragons game, and the GM utters the dreaded phrase, I think I'm going to accept two groups. He's just doubled his amount of work, possibly without realizing exactly what he's doing, in the name of trying to make the players happy. And I personally have been guilty of that. I have to confess, my first actual game back after returning from my little hiatus. Oh, sure, I'll take two groups. That, oh, such a disaster. And I would take all the blame for that disaster as well. Napalm42 points out that DM exhaustion is real. And yes, it is. It's really easy to overstretch yourself. We actually dedicated a whole episode to knowing how many games you should run and one of the major tips we pointed out was start with one game and one group. And a lot of GMs, they'll jump in and they'll see, oh my gosh, I have 40 people that want to play in this game. I have to accept more than my six or seven that I was planning on. And that's not true. You need to actually stick to your guns and say, okay, out of these 40 people, I'm going to pick the best six or seven. So I will say one thing that Jojo Lager points out is sometimes it's not worrying as long as the stated plan was two groups that merge later. It's more, I think, when, like Nathan was saying, you have extreme interest and they say, oh, well, I'll make accommodations, that there's a problem. So the other thing I know that a player can run into is the stalling of a game. And last week, Mordai and I talked about that in depth. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I would highly recommend that you do, especially if you're planning on running a game on Mythweavers, because the tips in that podcast are, I would, I would be willing to go so far as to say essential to keep your players interested and keep the game running for longer than that first month or two. Frequently, it can be easy to find yourself trapped in a scene that feels endless. I mean, there are some systems that intentionally make it so 
Shadowrun's a good example. I would say that developing the aspects of fake characters, if you're doing it in a play-by-post format, can uh, stall out frequently. Another thing that GMs like to do sometimes is run individual prologue threads, and it's very easy for those when they're all going at their own individual pace to very widely in how quickly they get through the particular scene that they were trying to work on. I've done the individual prologue thing before, and that lasted for all of, I think, two weeks, and then I was like, no, I don't think we're going to do this anymore because this is getting out of hand very quickly. But to go back to what you said about Shadowrun, the endless scenes of planning their run when it's really straightforward, they get wrapped up going around in circles endlessly, can be a really bad sign, especially for Shadowrun games, where it's the focus should be more on actually doing the job rather than planning it. And one of these days, we'll we'll talk about Shadowrun in depth, but not not yet. Like most things on the internet, when you have plenty of time and no one in your face demanding your action, it's easy to overthink things. So the la- the last thing I've noticed that can happen is true antagonism between the GM and the players, or between players out of character. And I'm curious. Colin and Mordai, how did you guys handle those types of interactions? I could have handled it better, honestly, but it, in the instance where I really had it get up pretty bad, I wound up just killing the game because I couldn't even get up the motivation to keep things going after that mess. I had a rather bad example, though, because it's an awkward situation when you have antagonism and you're also part of the site staff. That is a little bit of an awkward situation to be in, for sure. Definitely experienced some of that in my early on adventures here before I became part of the staff. I think what got me through it and what kept the game running, and it's still running now, is I went directly to the players that were involved, explained how I saw the situation, asked them for their honest assessment of whether it was something that they could get over and continue on with the game or whether they needed to step aside, and then stuck to it as soon as they made their decision. So if they felt that they were going to get over it, then I kept them in the game, and at the first sign of them reinstituting it, I kicked them out. It's as simple as that. You have to be somewhat of a hard ass as the GM. It's your game, and it's the collective fun of the group that is your job to protect. So if one player or two players are ruining it for everyone else, you have to step in and you're empowered to do so. Absolutely. It's, I don't know if many people are aware of this, but the general stance of the Mythweavers staff when it comes to an individual game is the GM is the first line of defense against things that could potentially be breaking the rules. And as many people know, the number one rule on Mythweavers is be excellent to one another, and the GM of a game is expected to uphold that in their game forum. If it gets out of hand, they can certainly bring it to the staff, but they are empowered to make decisions and remove people from the game if things are getting out of hand. That is absolutely 100% within the GM's power. One thing that I thought of and I'll see if I can articulate it more eloquently than the thought that was going through my head, is even as a player, 
when you start to realize that the game isn't fun, you need to be able to objectively ask yourself, is this something that with good communication and explaining myself to the rest of the group that we can come to a solution that I'm going to have fun with? Because if you're stuck in the game because you feel invested in the character, but the game isn't fun because the rest of the group is doing something that you're not interested in or there's uh, some level of antagonism on the, the backside in the out-of-character channels, you really need to be able to be fair to yourself and say, it's not worth keeping this character around just because I love the character if the game sucks. It's very true. Recognizing when it's time to step away from a game is something that I don't think a lot of players know how to do. And this is something that is entirely in the hands of the players. If they want to step away from a game, there's no ramifications for that. It's perfectly okay to step away from any game that you feel is not is not happy for you, is not fun anymore. I think a saying that I've taken to heart recently is, if it starts to feel like work, it's no longer fun. And that has carried me to the point of shutting down games in the past, for sure. I think the big thing really is... From the player end, if you make a character for the game, knowing what the game's going to be about, it's important to have a character that fits with the game concept. It's You might get in with the crazy character concept, but if that character isn't kind of looking at going with the game's flow, you're really setting the entire game and yourself up for failure with your expectations. So in the scenario where things do start to get out of hand... I want to give a small piece of advice to everybody that the best way to approach those situations where people are shouting at each one at one another, the best thing to do is do not reply, report the relevant posts. The staff will look at it. And if we decide it's something that we need to act on, we will replying to inflammatory posts is a good way to escalate things even further. And that's not what we want at all. I personally would love it if everyone just got along, but like Nathan said, bring it to staff attention, especially my job on Mythweavers as an admin is I handle member relations. I handle mediation. So situations where there's a conflict that just can't seem to get resolved internally, I'm happy to step in and play mediator. I'm happy to talk about issues. So I'm available as a resource. Any of the moderation staff is available as a resource for that. I, th- I think it's worth mentioning that perhaps not as many people talk directly to the staff as they should. Have, have you guys noticed, is that true? Or Usually the point they talk to the staff is when things have spiraled horribly out of control, the room is burning, and someone just threw in a bunch of dynamite. Yeah, when we get to the point that all we can do as staff is pick up the pieces, we can't really help the situation. It's a lot easier to heal it when we know about it up front, and we can approach as a neutral third party and and offer guidance. Glad to help save games before they get to the point of abandonment. I agree with Morda. I'd much rather mediate and at the very least, get to the point where everyone agrees they can't agree and people go their separate ways as opposed to people got angry at each other, rules are broken, and in the worst case, Mike gets unleashed. (laughs) I don't think anyone wants that to happen. Yeah, we should just 
probably mic drop the, the uh, episode now because once we've invoked his name, pretty much the, the band hammer's coming out. <laughs> he senses it and he appears. So ultimately, what you should take away from this is the staff is here to help you regardless of what's going on, even before things get set on fire. So please feel free to talk to any staff member at any time. We, we are just people. We're not going to bite your head off, I promise. Unless it's Mike, but he's a different story. Someone had to be that guy. And it's in your contract that you can't be that guy, Colin. Sorry. Yeah, become the uh, member relations guy, they said. It'll be fun, they said. All right, well, moving on to our next topic, which is, in fact, the first part in a mini-series that we're going to be doing over the next couple episodes called Player Archetypes. And we're going to be talking about the different kinds of players you might run into on Mythweavers, how to handle them, and we might even get to telling a little bit of stories if we have any. So the first player archetype we're going to talk about is the Spotlight Hog. And the Spotlight Hog, if you're not familiar with this archetype, it's basically the name says it all, but it's someone who tries to make the game all about themselves and exclude or draw attention away from the rest of the party. So, Colin and Mordai, have you guys ever run into someone like that? Well, the game I just talked about in the last segment where things got out of hand and I killed it, it was a Spotlight Hog incident. I've definitely had some Spotlight Hogs in my game, and when I look back on it, I should have been able to tell from the application that that was the situation I was going to get myself into. So maybe that's a good place to start our discussion is, how can you tell if you have a Spotlight Hog? I think it starts with some of the red flags we talked about when we were talking about picking characters for games. So, like, if they're a loner or... They have a prophecy or a dream that they're trying to accomplish. I think those immediately red fl- uh, raise red flags for me. They can also have background stories that give a certain level of power or personal history far beyond what you would have expected for a character in that particular situation within the game. I'm talking about characters who are starting at level one but have already defeated vast armies with their wooden sword that they got defending their farm. The red flag that always pops up to me of a potential spotlight hog is the one that has the tragic backstory. The Goblins parent- killed all my parents, and I hate goblins. Goblins killed my parents. Orcs burned the village I was in, and thus I... Thirst for revenge, that sort of thing. Jimmy points out all 37 of my parents because frequently this character is a half-orc, half-human, half-dragon, half-frenic ogre mage just so they can get all of the various uh, powers within their templates. So I think I've run into this type of character more at the actual tabletop than I have at Mythweaver's. I think I've gotten lucky in that regard, but at least in my experience, the best thing to do is not really take away their power, but shift the power to someone else. So, for example, if they're trying to conquer a dungeon, make the dungeon have something that their character can't do, 
So you want to play to their weaknesses, which sometimes this type of character can overlap with the munchkin type player, and they have few weaknesses, but you do want to play to those weaknesses and try to and kind of force the spotlight off of them and onto someone else. Now, there will certainly be players who fit that mold who will then promptly complain that you have set them up to fail by giving them things that they can't do. Another red flag that you need to go have that offline communication with them about maybe this isn't the right game for you. And that really gets into reading the game, understanding the setting, and thinking, you know, is what I'm building appropriate for this game? I think we talked about in the episode where we talked about selecting players that it's okay to bring that player aside even before the game starts and tell them, hey, I don't think your concept's going to work for this game. But if you're unlucky enough to get them in the game and then they show their colors as the spotlight hog, at that point you can use your plot hooks to pull in the entire party and emphasize the need for a party. So not every game can be beaten, quote-unquote, by a single character, even the most optimized character. So there are always going to be things that the player can't overcome if they're by themselves, unless it's a solo game, in which case it's kind of designed for one person to take it over. But being able to spread the love among all of your party using plot hooks can be extremely useful. So, like, if you take... If you're going along in the plot and a spotlight hog shows up, then being able to use another character's backstory and using a plot hook from there to bring that character to the forefront can help balance out things among the entire party. That's an excellent point and goes back to the discussion of accepting players and picking players that give you interesting plot hooks in their backgrounds so that you can bring those characters to the fore. Frequently, uh, you can end up with a party that has one person who ends up inadvertently hogging the spotlight because the other characters are boring, for lack of a better word. They don't have those plot hooks. They don't have the investment in the storyline. And so they, either of their own volition or because they can't evolve the character to a point where it fits with the story, find themselves as a wallflower, and the other character ends up being the central focus of the story. Maybe they're perfectly happy with that, but trying to spread the love around is a way to make the game more interesting, even for the player who has been in the party face leadership center of the story perspective. And ultimately, if it does get bad enough, being able to pull aside a player and say, hey, you either need to take it down a notch or uh, maybe this game isn't for you, is something that DMs, like we talked about, are empowered to do. You should be able to talk to your players and be like, hey, this isn't working. Can we change things? Can we tweak this character somehow to make it so that it's not so bad? Although when you're approaching things diplomatically, phrasing it as not so bad is probably the wrong approach to it. Sure, sure. Just going off the top of my head, that's kind of what I came up with. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Never fails. Pulling someone off to the side and trying to talk with them, you know, 
someone may not intentionally be going after the spotlight. It can be one of those things, someone getting very invested in their character and not necessarily thinking about the group as a whole. So a lot of times just talking to the person one-on-one can kind of help balance things. Absolutely. I think many people don't realize that they're being a spotlight hog until it gets pointed out to them. I, I know I'm guilty of that in my real-life groups. Sometimes the GM has had to say, hey, let's focus on someone else for a second, and I didn't even realize what I was doing. In a face-to-face situation, it's somewhat easier to have that conversation because you have all of the visual cues and the tone of voice that goes along with the person-to-person communication. I think it's important to stress that when we're in a written mode of communication like we hear, are here at Mythweavers or even on the Discord server uh, in a chat-based type uh, game, because you don't have those cues, you have to approach the situation differently than you would in a face-to-face conversation. Things that you would say that would come across as neutral because they can see your expression could come across as inflammatory, even if all you're trying to do is say, hey, you seem to be a little too much in the fore here. Let's try and pull it back a little bit. That could be taken personally. So it's important to come across and say, this is what I'm seeing. Are you feeling the same thing? Or are you feeling different? Approach it as engaging in the conversation rather than being immediately direct into the point of accusation. That will tend to diffuse the situation before it even starts to escalate. So just very briefly, uh, Shiro-chan asks, what do you do when someone just yanks leadership and they have GM favor? So looking at it from not the perspective of a GM having a spotlight hog, but being a player and having a spotlight hog that you're trying to deal with and the GM doesn't seem to notice. At that point, it's more important that you talk to the GM and let the GM handle it rather than try to take care of it yourself because ultimately it's the GM's decision as to whether that player is doing okay or not. And if it turns out that you're not a big fan of that style, then it's perfectly okay to say, okay, you know, I don't think this game is for me anymore. I'll agree with Nathan. Always pass things up. Don't be the one handling it yourself, especially if you're, well, if you're running the game, you can handle it so far. But if you're a player, let the game master handle it. At worst, you know, bring your concerns to them. But it's not your game. Don't try to run it like it's your game. I'll also offer up that leaving a game doesn't have to be something that's abrupt and immediate. Frequently, if it's an amicable breakup, you can arrange for a departure of the character in a way that makes sense in the story. Even potentially, if it's a situation where the player's just feeling burnt out and they need to take a break and come back, you can write them out in a way that you can write them back in. It's really a team sport when it comes down to it, and working together can end up building bridges that will help you in future games. Even if this one ends up going in the archive bin at some point, there are always more games out there, and there's always opportunities to interact with characters. I have many, many players and GMs who either left my game or I left their game, and we're still on great terms, and we find each other and we play again. It's a big community, but we can all be friends, even if we didn't necessarily agree on the points of that one game. And that's really the big difference, I think, when you're going from a 
group that you meet with on a set night of the week versus myth weavers is just because things didn't work out with one group doesn't mean you're kind of screwed. I mean, real life, you might be limited on how many gaming groups are in the area. Myth weavers, there's always something else available. All right. So I, do we have any more closing thoughts before we move on to the game of the week? Nothing here, sir. I think I'm good. Alrighty. In that case, it is time for the game of the week. This week's game of the week is From Rabble to Regal, being run by Endometric. From Rabble to Regal is a Pathfinder game set in a homebrew setting. From Rabble to Regal is a sandbox game in which the players will be amassing wealth, exploring locations, and perhaps even building a stronghold of their own. The players have a chance to become nobles or beyond from very humble beginnings. Endometric is seeking players who are looking to explore a story full of the joys and perils of adventuring. I personally love sandbox games, so this one will definitely be one to keep an eye on. From Rabble to Regal's application deadline is July 1st, so there's plenty of time to get those applications in. As always, for those of you listening to the recording, the link to that game will be in the relevant links section of the forum post. And I will also post it right here in Discord. Alright, and now, as we move on from the game of the week, it is time for everybody's favorite segment, the question and answer segment. So, you can ask us anything you want. We'll take about 30 minutes and answer several questions. So, the questions can be about anything, be it Mythweavers. They can be about games in general. They can be about anything we talked about today or in previous episodes. If you want to talk about return to a previous topic, we can definitely do that. So, bring on the questions. Okay, so Chimi asks, what other player profile segments do you have planned? I know for sure that I want to talk about the munchkin or the person who over-optimizes everything. I know for sure I want to talk about the wallflower. I want to talk about the rules lawyer. Um, I can't think of any more off the top of my head currently, but I know for sure I want to hit those three. I do believe we have a list, but a couple that come to mind for me are the GM's pet and the... Party annoyer, I'll call it. Would that be the antagonistic type? Not necessarily antagonistic, but one who wants to pull tricks on his friends just to be interesting. Uh, the class clown. Or the rogue that loots the party in their sleep. Kender. The Kender. All right, and Shiro-chan asks, How do you deal with a Mary Sue who is hogging the spotlight? Well, my first piece of advice is avoid Mary Sue's. They don't make very interesting characters, and you probably don't want them in your game in the first place if they're writing a Mary Sue. But if they make it into the game, then you basically have to follow all the same steps that we already talked about. Pull them aside, make try and use your plot hooks to pull attention away from them, so on and so forth. Frequently, the best way to deal with them is not to let them in the game in the first place. I found that occasionally adding a character weaknesses section to the application can be something that can dissuade people from bringing perfect or overly perfected characters into my games. So Chimi wants to know, as a follow-up question, what character profile or what player profile is Chimi? And I 
I think it's a bit early for me to say. I think I've only played one game with you, so I don't, I haven't quite figured it out yet. I've never played with Jimmy, but given the attention Jimmy wants, you could argue Jimmy's a spotlight hog, right, Jimmy? That's true. It probably could be argued. <laughs> Jimmy disagrees and states, no, not a spotlight hog, the best player position. My wife, who also plays on Mythweavers, points out, because she's listening here on the side, that uh, another potential player t- archetype that we might want to examine is the two players who get along too well with each other. Could you clarify that a little more, Doc? They develop a rapport of such a degree that they tend to together not necessarily hog the spotlight but drive the story because they make it about them by posting back and forth frequently or interacting with each other to somewhat the exclusion of the rest of the party. So romance, bromance, or best girlfriends for life? Yep, JoJo puts it well. The duo that team up and take over. Team Rocket, I think we'll call them. The Unspeakable also raises a fair point. That is him, Dmitry Ravenoff, and myself when all three of us are players in the game. Not intentionally, we just kind of think the same way. And bad ideas snowball until they happen. All right, we still have plenty of time for more questions. Bring them on. I'd like to point out, Mordice said Nathan's love life is safe for Mythweavers After Dark, but Nathan did say all questions are valid. <sighs> I tried to back you up, bud, but Colin is an admin, so he can overrule us. Colin's just a horrible person, let's be honest. You know, the unspeakable, I think we actually answered the how many dwarves can Grok stomp two weeks ago. Yes, we did answer that question already. What number did we come up with? 42? I think it was something along those lines. Although Mordai has a very good answer in all the dwarves all the time. Question from Tiffany Corda. Are we ever going to going to cover encouraging players to be more proactive? It well, part of it depends on the setting, part of it depends on the game. If it's a sandbox game, it can be difficult. Sometimes, just because a lot of players are used to being railroaded into specific areas, sometimes it's hard to encourage them to be proactive. It definitely depends a lot on the game. Like, a sandbox game has more room for the players to be proactive, whereas a pre-written adventure, it's more the DM kind of guiding the players along on the adventure. That said, I could see us in the future covering a section on semi-sandbox or sandbox game operation. Definitely. Uh, Sandbox games is on the list of things that we are going to talk about in the future. And I'm not... We haven't decided on the topics for next week, but it's probably going to be very soon. So Shiro-chan asks, How do you deal with a situation where you have several good candidates but your space to take on players is limited? We dedicated an entire episode to picking players, and I believe that was episode two? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was episode two. Might have been two. The short version I've got for that question is balance the party, and then if you've got multiple characters that fit a specific slot, flip a coin or roll a die. Yep, so episode one is when we covered the process for selecting players for your game, how many players to pick, and all of those related topics. So I would very highly encourage you to go listen to that episode. 
if you're curious about selecting players for your game. Although, given that this is running weekly, I'm sure at some point we'll start rehashing episodes the same way Hollywood remakes movies. So we could cover that again in the future. Player Selection 7. More players, more selection. (laughs) (laughs) Enough episodes to make. Well, we will definitely add that one to the blooper reel. I aim to please. All right. Uh, Mordai, I think you said Napalm had a question? Yes. Napalm42 asks, how do you handle pushy or insistent players that request story updates when the DM has stated prior commitments or a hiatus? That's a very good question, and that's one where that open communication needs to happen. If you're in a position where you can't post and you've told the players that you're not going to be able to post, and a player says, I have to keep this game going, I can't live without it, you need to take them offline and say, hey, I'm in a situation where I'm not going to be able to keep up with it for a week or two. And if that's not something that you can handle, then we can work on stepping you away from the story and no harm, no foul. Just like we talked about earlier, if we can't communicate, uh, we're going to end up in a situation where your pushy player is going to complain and complain and bother the other players and someone's going to get their feelings hurt and then the staff will get called in to uh, put out the fire afterwards. We don't want to get there. So it's worth just sending that one PM or that one private thread message to the player who's asking for updates when you can't and say, look, I told you I can't and just leave it short and sweet. To jump on and add on to that a little bit, you know, I love as crazy as the rest of the staff thinks I am, I enjoy the mediation. I enjoy the member outreach, but I swear every time we get called to something that spiraled out of control and the room's on fire, I risk a concussion banging my head on the desk. Sending that PM really helps everything. Absolutely. Open lines of communication, regardless of what's going on, is essential. Okay, Shimi asks, how closely should GMs stick to their layout for player acceptance, assuming they're established? And if the GM knows they can handle it, do you think it's okay to take one extra? I would say, I mean, if the Game Master knows they can take one more, if they can handle it, they can handle it. I mean, I've, in the past, set up a game where I say I'm advertising for five, knowing I can take six just in case that one additional exceptional application happens. I actually just did this with my Tabula Rasa game, where I initially thought I was going to pick five, and then I got, like, 40-something people interested in the game, and I was like, okay, I can pick one more, but I'm not going to push it beyond that. So... I ended up picking one more player because a a group of six is not how is not that much ultimately, and I knew I could handle that many. Jojo Logger correctly points out that making slight modifications to your player acceptance plan can work out reasonably well most of the time, but to make a major change at the last second not only runs the risk of endangering the game simply because you've changed your expectations for yourself without thinking possibly about the ramifications. But there may be players who feel differently about the game based on the changing circumstances. Uh, so you could be jeopardizing characters that you already thought were in the bag, if you will. So RMB asks, I think we covered this, but what 
do you do when one person holds up a game? Fortunately, sometimes you just have to power on and have the GM post for that player or let them catch up at a later point. So it, it's kind of up to the GM and the player to determine what's the best process for moving on. To clarify a little, RMB, are you talking if they are not posting or if they're dragging things out? Ooh, what if the situation hinges on them? Good clarification. I've actually had that happen in a very recent game. As a GM, I always make sure that my players know that I empower myself to take action on their behalf or to have the other players take action on their behalf. And I want to set that expectation up front at the beginning of the game or when the player joins the game so that when I get in a situation like this where I've set up a scenario just like Nathan said before to spread the love to get more players involved with the plot and one of them is just the stumbling block, I'm going to power through and make that not the focus of the scene anymore. That may mean that that action wasn't as exciting or interesting or what they would have done if they had done it themselves. I need to think of those other players. They have rights to. They're worth getting my attention. It's worth for all of them to move the story along and have more fun. Autopilot mode is a good way to put that. Uh, basically just what to do if something happens and they're not able to post. All right, I think we have time for two or three more questions. Tiffany Corda asks, do you have a good rule of thumb for deciding post rates? I personally usually tell my players that I want at least one post from them a week, but that's also because I expect my games to run slower than most. I don't like to set an expectation of one post a day because I can't keep up with that. So you have to be able to set a rate that both the GM and the players can reasonably ex be expected to follow. And I use my own posting rate to determine what the posting rate should be for each player. I'm with Nathan on that. I'm at the one post a week for my current game. It's honestly, it's figuring out what you can handle. If you can handle one post a day on the assumption that every now and then your players are going to post multiple times a day, more power to you. But it's all about what you know you can handle as long as you make it clear to the players this is the actual baseline. You know, if more happens and I can get to it, great, but usually it's going to be once a week, once a day, twice a week, something along those lines. Just make your expectations clear. My rule of thumb? Take the expected postering rate that you think you want, cut it in half. Actually expect that. If you get half or less of that lower threshold, that's when you have a problem and need to go engage. Another good rule of thumb that I've seen is not necessarily time-based, but for the GM sometimes it's good for them to say, I will post once for every post the players do regardless of how long that takes. And, of course, if it takes too long, then you want to step in and say, hey, what's going on? Can I help move things along? But, generally speaking, one post for every post the players make as a group, not individually, but as a group, seems to work out pretty well as well. That's a very important clarification, because if you look at the statistics for your game forum and the GM is more than 50% of the posts... You're writing a monologue. You're not writing a story anymore. Definitely. 
All right, we have time for a couple more questions. The Unspeakable asks, who would win, Grok or Cthulhu? It's a toss-up. Yep, at that point you might as well just flip a coin. If it's Dwarf Cthulhu, then Grok definitely wins. Grok just stops Dwarf Cthulhu. All right, Shimmy asks, two-part question, why are Cruft games so good and what is Mythweavers going to do about those dirty flunchers? First, my counter question is, did Daphnis put you up to this? Second, they're both equally good and it's a matter of perspective. I think it's important we should clarify what Cruff and Flunchers are because I have no idea. Absolutely. I will work on explaining that inside joke. It basically speaks to the balance between building a good story and using lots of in-depth mechanics. And there is nothing wrong with either end of the role-playing spectrum. And whatever floats your boat and makes your party happy, you should go with. Well, well there you have it, folks. <laughs> So I would like to toss out, Nathan did make a short list of player archetypes that we will put up in the thread in the gaming discussion forum. So far we've got GM's pet, rules lawyer, class clown, the Kender, Team Rocket, and the Munchkin. I'm not sure what the Munchkin is, but if you have any additional suggestions, add them to the thread about the webcast. The munchkin is the hyper-optimized person, the uh, person who demands that their character be 100% optimized and uh, min-maxed. Oh, well, just call it the min-max player. <laughs> but it's called a munchkin. Well, yes, but min-max came before the munchkin. And Shimi raises a good point. Munchkin is more rules-bending than min-max. Well, should it be two separate archetypes, then? No, because the munchkin you don't even allow in the game. That's true. Fair enough. It's all degrees of the same thing when it comes down to it, and we can make these episodes about as extreme a character as we could possibly think of. All that means is someone will go and make something more extreme afterwards just to prove us wrong. Yeah, this is not that kind of show. If you're looking for optimizations for your wizard, you're looking in the wrong place. I'm too lazy to actually figure out that level of optimization. Milladoon asks, I would like to donate some tokens for the Mythweaver's map function. Is there a place to upload them? I don't know that there's a place to upload them, but I would recommend getting in touch with Rodrigo about using those. Yep, post it in the site discussion forum on the main Mythweaver site, and Rodrigo will probably get back to you when his schedule permits usually within a few days. I will say in regards to the map function that's only accessible to community supporters, it's still in beta, so right now we're not sure if tokens are even going to be added in right now because things are prone to extreme change. So just want to put that warning out there. That said, you know, more tokens aren't a bad thing. Provided they're being offered for free or in public domain. Free or public domain are preferable. All right, so Chimi asks, community supporters, what are those? Community supporters are people who have donated, I, I forget the amount, but there's a certain amount that you donate to Mythweavers, and it helps keep the site running. In exchange, you get access to beta features that Mythweavers is working on improving currently. Also important to mention that being a community supporter is not required 
in order to take full advantage of all of the publicly available features. Mythweavers is free to play. Community supporter is just people who want to go above and beyond to say thanks for providing such a great site for us to have all of these fun games. Absolutely, and you get early access to some of the cool things that are coming up in the future. All right, I think we have time for one more question. Or a couple if they're small questions. Yeah, if they're small questions, we have time for one or two more. Jojo Lager asks, what is the URL for the donate page? And I believe, is that a, that's on your user control panel, isn't it? Oh, nope, Mordai has the link right there, and I will make sure to include that link for anyone listening to the podcast after we have finished recording it. It is accessible, though, for those listening that are not wanting to click a link. You go to user control panel, miscellaneous, and it's in paid subscriptions under your miscellaneous in the user control panel. Or as Chimi points out, bottom of every screen, support us, because, well, I always miss that. It is worth noting that becoming a community supporter does also give you an ad-free experience if that sort of thing entices you. Given how Google Ads go some days, that is somewhat enticing. All right, let's get one more question before we wrap up for the evening. Preferably relevant, unlike the cheese question a few weeks ago. All right, Shiro-chan asks, what's a good benchmark for dispensing treasure to the party? It's usually entirely system-dependent. Do you have a specific system in mind? And while we await a response there... The Urge D. Skyler 13 asks, what are your thoughts on Gouda? Listen to episode two. We went into that. All right, and Shiro-chan clarifies Pathfinder. And for Pathfinder, the Game Mastery Guide, I believe, has all the rules you could possibly need for dispensing treasure. It's based on the level of the party. It's based on their experience progression path, whether it's slow, medium, or fast. And that book will tell you everything you need to know about what treasure to give out, when you should give it out, so on and so forth. All right, and with that, we will wrap up Episode 4. So thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat as always. I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Colin and Mordai tonight. Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.